to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. If you do, grab it with me and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, if you're just joining us today uh, for the first time, we have been in a series uh, for a couple weeks. We started a couple weeks ago uh, on spiritual gifts, and uh, we are calling the series Inspire. Uh, Anybody here, you need some more inspiration in your life. Everybody else is like way too inspired. Everybody else, you, you don't even have an alarm clock. You just like hover out of the bed in the morning because you're so ready to get going. No, we all need some inspiration. And ultimately, the greatest uh, inspired life that has ever been, I believe, uh, is the greatest life that has ever been, and that is the life of Jesus. Uh, because to be inspired, really according to the, the original meaning of the word, inspired, doesn't just mean to be excited. It doesn't mean to just kind of like be a chipper morning person. Uh, it, it, it actually means to be in the Spirit, inspired, or to be filled with the Spirit. And so our vision for this year is to live the Jesus life together. And I'll just say this up front, you cannot live the, the life that Jesus lived, apart from the power that he lived it in, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God doesn't want you to just get through life. He wants you to live inspired. The Christian life should be the most inspired life that there is. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the, the word spirit. Oftentimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think, you know, the Holy Ghost, kind of creepy, kind of weird. Um, You know, like Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that. But the word spirit, Holy Spirit, uh, actually just means wind. In the Old Testament, it's ruach. In the New Testament, it's pneuma. And so to understand the Holy Spirit or the nature of the Holy Spirit, we can look at the wind or we can look at the effects of the wind because we can't see the wind, right? But to to live a spirit-filled life just means to have the fresh breath of God, fresh wind of God in your sails to be moved along, not under your own power, your own perspiration, but under his inspiration. So we talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, I talked about the importance of togetherness, that spiritual gifts are not like a, uh, you know, spiritual, like American Idol, where everybody just gets up and like, come on, show us what you got, you know, like show off your gift. That's not Uh, That's not what it is. It's not about me and making me look good. It's actually about uh, lifting up Jesus and about building up the body. And so you cannot live a life of inspiration while in isolation, okay? And so today I want to continue with that. And so if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm just going to read through that passage and, and highlight a few things as we go. If you have it, you can say, I've got it. If not, I think we got it on the screen. We'll put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Like I said earlier, our media team, we only notice. I'll read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. That's why it's always good to bring your Bible, okay? Paul says this. Paul's speaking to a church in a a city called Corinth. It was a very spiritual city, very progressive, highly cultured city. There was great museums. There was great education. It was a a culturally advanced, very spiritual city. Uh, uh, People would say that they were spiritual but not religious. And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles. Some of you hear that word Gentiles. You think, what is that? Is that like snakes and alligators. No, that's reptiles. Gentiles just means people that are, I thought that's what it was as a kid. I, was, I heard that. I was like, I'm a, I'm a, a snake, I guess. I don't know. Um, no, just re, Gentiles is just the people that are outside of God's family, okay? And uh, he says, you were outside of God's family. Listen to this, carried away to these dumb idols. I like that. However you were led, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God 
calls Jesus a curse. That's a good place right there. If you want to get into the gifts of the Spirit, just don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's a good start, okay? He says, no one says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say that Jesus is, what does it say? Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not talking about uh, that, that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, that your mouth can't make those phonetic sounds. Jesus is, that's not what he's talking about. He, he's saying that that there can be no declaration of faith out of your heart. The power behind the words cannot be there apart from the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. In other words, uh, as I shared with you last week, we are to use our gifts in unity, but unity does not mean uniformity. doesn't mean that we all have to be the same. Diversities, differences, diversities, he says. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? To each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another uh, different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, God. Thank you that you are wanting to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would empower my words, God. Let them be your words today. And Lord, open our ears. Let there be faith in our hearts to receive from you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you here uh, grew up in church? How many of you grew up in church? Maybe half of you. It's okay if you did not grow up in church. Actually, if you didn't grow up in church, uh, you may be at an advantage in your walk with the Lord than some of you that grew up in a church and the wrong kind of church, you know. Um, but if you grew up in church, I don't know about you, but, but uh, I, I wondered growing up, if you, if you weren't in church, what did you have to laugh at? I just admit it. I was like, what do people, if they're not, because everything that I laughed at came in church. I just have to admit that to you today. Everything that I laughed at, my brothers and I growing up, pastors, kids, we, we would see some hilarious stuff that would happen in church. And I remember, uh, you, you know, just let's, let's be honest. Um, how many of you know people are weird? You know what I'm saying? People are weird. The church, here's a simple definition of church, God and people. Okay, now let me say this. God's not weird, so who, who, if there's weirdness in the bunch, who, who is that on? That's on the people, right? And uh, statistics show that one out of every three people are totally weird, all right? So look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Look at your other neighbor. All right, now, if neither one of them looks weird, you're the guy. You're the girl, okay? I just made that up. Uh, one out of every three people, but... People are just weird, and um, so you get enough people together, and how many of you know there's just going to be some weird stuff that's going to happen, and uh, the church I grew up in was a, a large church, and uh, that just meant there was a large amount of weird people that would come there, you know, and I'll never forget a guy that he, you know, he loved Jesus, a sweet guy, but he heard this, uh, he, he heard out of Ephesians 6 about spiritual warfare. And he's like, all right, man, this is, you know, the, the struggle is real. We got to, you know, we, we've got to fight against the enemy. And, and so he's like, if we're in battle, I, I'm going to be a ninja, a ninja for Jesus. And I kid you not, ladies and gentlemen, he wore a headband and brought a sword. And, and in worship, I, I'll never forget the day he pulled out this sword and we're like, bro, we believe in healing, but that doesn't mean we're trying to injure somebody, okay? You need to put the sword down, all right? Step away from the sword. 
I remember another lady um, that uh, one time my dad was preaching and there was a lady that was probably sitting on like the third, fourth row. And just as he's like introducing his message, uh, she, he hears the, we hear this sound, roof, roof. Like, you, you know, the first time you're like, I don't think I, I don't know what I heard there. Somebody got a puppy in here. Sure enough, a couple, a couple minutes later, it happened again. My dad, he's preaching, and he just says, uh, Sister, if you could just hold that. And, uh, you know, you try, to, you try to say it in, like, a nice way. And, um, and so he continues, and again, woo, woo. and I, I kid you not, he mid-message, he's just introing his message, and without skipping a beat, he gets off the platform, walks down to the third row. She sees him coming. She's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm going to the doghouse, you know. She starts gathering her stuff up. She's like, okay, you know, let's go. And he grabs her by the hand mid-message and just leads her right out the door, opens the back door and says, thank you, see you later, okay? Uh, service animals only is, I think, what, uh, what he said. But anyway, I, how, how many of you know that's just weird? That's just weird. Now, let me say again, why is that? It's because people are weird. Don't, don't believe me. Go out to Walmart late at night sometime, okay? How many of you know? You go out, I'm not, talk, I'm not talking the middle of the day. You go late at night to Walmart, and it is like a gallery of weirdness. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else been to the EDC, Electric Daisy Carnival, here in town? It's, a, it's an electric dance festival, and it's like, that's, I mean, we think church can be weird. This is like the epicenter of weirdness, but everybody's like, no, it's cool. It's cool, right? And, uh, but, but oftentimes, when it comes to the church, uh, the, the enemy, I believe, would love to confuse us, that he would love to uh, begin to bring confusion, or what Paul talks about, ignorance, into the church, and so he would say stuff, or people begin to say stuff like this. If somebody's really weird, they, or a church is a lot of weird stuff, they go, they're really charismatic. Anybody ever heard that before? They're, they're super charismatic. Or they even say, charismaniac. You, have you ever heard that? They're, they're charismaniacs. And uh, I, I will tell you that that word charismatic is in the Bible, but let me tell you, it has nothing to do with swinging swords or barking in church, okay? In fact, it has nothing to do with weirdness at all. It is not weirdness. It is wonderful. And, and here's what I believe is that if the enemy can confuse the wording or he can confuse the language, he can control the culture. And so if he, he can begin to get us to think, well, that's weird, you know, that's charismatic, so it is weird. I want nothing to do with weirdness, to which I would say yes and amen. We want nothing to do with weirdness, but, but he can ultimately hijack the work. If he can control the, the, the word or confuse the word, he can control the work. And so many people are in a place where they have pushed away something that is a wonderful thing because they have been confused about it. And Paul says here, as he begins this teaching, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. What's the root word of ignorant? Ignore. And that's where a lot of people are when it comes to spiritual gifts. Like it's all in the Bible, we see it, it's all over the place, but like let's just kind of not talk about it. So we ignore it, and it produces ignorance, and ignorance always results in abuse. It would be like me giving the keys to my car to my six-year-old son and saying, here you go, son, have a great time. How many of you know that would not end well, right? It would be an abuse, an abnormal use, unintended use based in ignorance and so ignorance and abuse when it comes to spiritual gifts have been a perpetuating cycle in the church. There's, there is a, perhaps a abuse that happens, but, you know, if, if there is an abuse, how many of you know there's an intended use? If there is a counterfeit, how many of you know there is an authentic, 
right? And so if there is an abuse, people say, well, let's just kind of ignore that. And then the ignorance produces more and more abuse. And so I believe that God is wanting us to understand spiritual gifts, that he wants us to know that they are not weird, they are wonderful. Spiritual gifts are wonderful. And so I want to look at this word. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the word pneumaticos, or the word spirit. And today, I want to look at the word gifts. Pneumaticos means spiritual. And I want to look at the word that means gifts. It's the word charisma. Can everybody say charisma? Very good. You're speaking Greek. That is, uh, that is a Greek word that means gifts. It's where we get that term charismatic, but the root of the word charisma is the word charis, which simply means grace. I think we have that slide that we can put these words, charisma, charis. Charis means grace. How many of you want grace? 50%? 50%? Let me explain grace. Free... Blessing, favor, goodness, acceptance. How many of you want grace? Yeah, like both hands up, legs up. How many of you need some more grace this week in your life? You, you went through your grace last week and you're like, I need some fresh grace for this week, right? We need grace. And, and grace, the word charisma, is based on the word grace, charis. And, and many people have an understanding of grace. They, are, they have an understanding of what the Scripture says about grace. We would say things like this, that it's by grace alone through faith alone, right? That was the, the rediscovery out of the Reformation was that we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says that, it's by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Who likes gifts? If you like gifts, some of you put your hand up real quick there. Is your birthday coming up, Brad? Not yet. Okay, just ready for it. Just ready. Grace, all of our spiritual life is based on grace. We are saved by grace. But, but our grace is not just for our forgiveness. Many people understand that. I'm, I'm forgiven by grace. And they think, well, you know, when I go to heaven, I will die because Jesus paid my price and I believe in him. And so his justification has been put on me. It's his grace to me. And that's where many people stop. That it's just grace. They, they've made grace the minimal entry requirement to get into heaven after you die. And so it's like, you know, I've got, my, I've got my paperwork together. I'm all ready. When the moment comes, I'm ready to go. But grace is a lot more than just getting you to heaven when you die. The grace of God is about a lot more than just your forgive, the forgiveness of your sins. If that's all it was, man, that would be, what a deal. That would be amazing, but it's about a lot more than that. Grace is not just about getting you to heaven. Grace is about getting you to your purpose in life. It's about getting you into the destiny that God has for you, not just to heaven when you die, but to your purpose here and now. And so Paul says that, that, that there is a diversity of charisma, of gifts. Charis is grace. Charisma is the grace gift. So a charisma, or the plural is charismata, is gifts that God has given to you. They are empowerments, abilities, things that God's put into your life in, in order to enable you not to go to heaven when you die. Charisma has nothing to do with getting you into heaven. It has to do with you getting into your purpose. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says this, that we are to be manifold, that we are to steward or to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That word manifold means multi-sided. 
It's like when you shop for a diamond. If any, anybody ever shopped for a diamond, I've done it once, and I remember <laughs> buying Jen's diamond, and, and there's all these, you know, things that you look at, but part of it is the cut of it because all the different cuts show the color, show the light, show the sparkle in a different way. That's the many sides of the diamond. Well, the grace of God is the same way. You can look at it from one side and you can say, praise God, he for, he, I'm forgiven of my sin. The guilt is off. The shame is off. But that's not all there is. If you come over and you look at it from another way, you, you say, not only am I forgiven of my sin, but I've also been accepted in the beloved. So I'm not just going to heaven when I die. I've got a community. I've got a group of people that I'm a part of here and now. That's the grace of God. But it doesn't just get you into a family. It doesn't just get you into heaven when you die. It's the, it's the gifts that God has given to you in order for you to live a life of purpose and a life of destiny on the earth. And so we are to be stewards of the grace, the charisma that God has imparted into our lives. Sam Storms, a theologian, defines spiritual gifts this way in his book, A Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, that I recommend all of you read. He says, the spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills. Anybody ever needed some willpower? Yeah. The Holy Spirit infuses power into your will and working his sovereign and gracious purpose through us. Spiritual gifts must never be viewed deistically, which means as if God is distant from them, as if God is out there and he has sent something down here. Spiritual gifts are God present in with and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, human love. God with us. Spiritual gifts are not this thing that is like, oh, that's a nice, uh, you know, that's nice, but it's disconnected from who God is. It's a, Paul calls it a manifestation of the Spirit, okay? And so that's Sam Storm's definition. Peter Wagner gives this definition of spiritual gifts. He said, a spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ. Remember, we said it was given to each one according to God's grace for use within the context of the body. So Peter Wagner shortens uh, Sam Storm's definition a little bit. I'm going to shorten it even more, okay? Here's my definition of spiritual gifts. It is a God-given ability empowered by the Holy Spirit to advance God's purpose. God-given ability empowered by the Spirit to advance God's purpose. Anybody want that? Yeah? Good, okay. Um, so let me give to you, I know I, I've just kind of like been testing this out over the last few weeks, asking people, um, what are your spiritual gifts? Just to hear what people are saying. And uh, one thing I've heard people say is, what are, what are, this, what are the options, right? What are the options? Uh, and uh, it's not options for us to choose, but I want to give to you uh, just listings of three places. There's three places in the scripture that the Bible lists uh, spiritual gifts in three different places. First Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul talks about what people often call the gifts of the Spirit. That's what I read just a little bit ago. Miracles, word of wisdom. Now, if you don't know what those are, we're going to be talking about those things over the next few weeks, okay? We'll take a break for Easter, and then we'll get back into it. But uh, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings. Notice it's plural. It's not just singular gifts of healings. Miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues. That's the one everybody is afraid of. Interpret interpretation of tongues. Apostles, prophets, helps administration. So that Paul lists that all in 1 Corinthians 12. But then he also, in Romans 12, gives another listing of gifts. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. Do, do you see a little bit of contrast 1 Corinthians 12, people often refer to them as the spectacular gifts. Romans 12, 
People don't look at it as spectacular, but it's just as spiritual. God looks at it. The gift of administration, if you have the gift of administration, nobody's ever like, ooh, get away from me. That's weird. I don't believe in that. People are like, please help me. Come help me organize my life, right? So there's these gifts. Ephesians 4 lists another listing of gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So there's three lists of gifts that the Bible gives throughout throughout Scripture in the New Testament. Now, let me say this. Ephesians 4, these are unique gifts in that this is not just a gift. This is actually a role. And so there is a difference between a gift and a role. Uh, Somebody can be very mothering, but not necessarily be a mother. You know what I'm saying? Somebody can be a teacher or or, or very teaching. They're always wanting to teach you something, right? But but that doesn't mean that they, they necessarily have the office of being a teacher, And so those five in Ephesians 4 are office gifts. They are given by God, but they are appointed by man. You are set into that role listed in Ephesians 4. Now let me just say this, a little word on structure in the gifts. I want you to understand that in the body of Christ that we are both organized and organic. We are both organized and organic. The same is true in your body. If there is no organic life, that's what organic means. It just means alive. If there is no no, uh, organic nature in your body, you are dead. But if you have organic nature and you don't have organized nature, you are also dead. Right? Like some people are like, I don't believe in organization in the church. It's just, you know, flat leadership structure. Everybody is the same. There should be no leadership How would that work in your body? If we said, we're going to go with a flat organizational structure in your body. We have a a steamroller outside, and we're just going to flatten the the organizational structure. Like, how well would that work? I know it's a dumb question, but that would not work, right? The same is true in the church. And so in the church, I don't know know if we have this next slide. Here's just a little little breakdown of... the structure in the church, nope, not that one, not pirates, we'll get to that. Previous, uh, maybe I don't have it. Okay, so let me just give you kind of four layers of leadership in the church. Uh, one is members. Every person is called not to just be an attender, but to be a member in the body, right? And so every person has a gift, every person has a role to play, every person is a member in the body. The enemy wants to dismember the body. But the Holy Spirit brings us into the body. So there's members in the body. Not only is there members in the body, there's also leaders in the body. There's team leaders. There's connect group leaders. Uh, This is biblically what the Bible would call deacons in the body. People that help to lead other people to make sure ministry gets done. But then there's not just leaders. There's also elders, which is synonymous with pastors. That is those that are that are receiving the spiritual guidance from the Holy Spirit to determine what's the direction of the church. And so that is, in just a few weeks, we're going to be, although we've talked about it, we're going to be formally appointing the elders in the church on the last Sunday of this month. Not because we're wanting to be rigid, but because we're wanting to be releasing. We want to release every single person into their God-given ministry role. Okay, And so not only is there eldership, but then there is also oversight or there is an apostolic relationship that is just like a spiritual father cares for, a, cares for a, you know, his children. And how many of you know, no matter how old you get, your father is still your father? Am I right, Randy? He's by his son, his grown son today. That's true, right? For all of us. Our parents always play that role, and that is true in the body of Christ, that God wants to bring us into a broader church family through translocal gifts. Now, I won't get into all of that. Maybe I've just confused you all more than necessary, but I just wanted to say that's a little snapshot of what the structure should look like in the church. Now, let's go back to uh, the previous slide. 
Not the pirate one, the other one. We can get to the pirate one. Okay. Now you're all curious, what's up with the pirate? Okay. Um, so let me just say this. There's the three listings of gifts in the Scripture, but that is not the totality of the gifts that the Scripture gives. There's, a, there's other gifts in other places. Um, in First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, Paul talks about celibacy. He says, you know, some of, he said, I wish, he was single. He said, I wish all of you were single like me. And he says, but each one has been given your own gift. Uh, in other words, he said, I've got a gift to be celibate, but not everybody has that gift. To which all the married people said, amen, right? Now, let me say this. If that's a gift, that's a wonderful thing. And I'm not going to focus just on that one too much, but let me just say this. You know, Paul says in another place, those who are single care for the things of the Lord. Those, uh, he who is married cares about how he can please his wife. And so sometimes God uses, y'all are giggling, sometimes God gives people the gift of celibacy so that they can uh, be more effective in the body of Christ. There's a man named John Stott who is an amazing pastor, Bible teacher, author, and, and he was also uh, single and celibate his whole life. And he would say that he had the gift of celibacy. Now, not everybody that's single has the gift of celibacy, okay? But, uh, but he said he had a gift. Now, uh, you know, he did so much I, I, because he's not out at the baseball field like I was yesterday, right? Like, he can, he's writing books. He's not... He's not having to care for all of the other things. Okay, enough said on that. So that's a gift, all right? Uh, at the end of the service, we're going to call you for it. If you like that gift, we're going to know. Martyrdom, hospitality, intercession, musicianship. Now, these are things that the Bible talks about in different places. Uh, musicianship in 1 Samuel 16, chapter 16, um, is... Uh, it's the story of David, and David was called into play for Saul. Do you remember that? And the Bible says that David was skillful, and when he played uh, his harp, there, there was like spiritual warfare that happened. It wasn't just he was killing it on the harp. There was something spiritual that was happening. He had the gift of musicianship, intercession. You ever heard somebody? Now, we, I believe we all should pray in the Spirit. But there are some people that like, they go, that's my thing, right? Do you remember Anna, and I'm getting into too deep on some of this, but do you remember Anna in, in the book of Luke, I think it's chapter three, no, it's chapter two, when Jesus' parents take him into the temple and present him to the temple, there was a lady named Anna, and she was there uh, just making intercession. Some of you are like, uh, you know, uh, can we please get a church building? Because I just need a place where I can go and pray in the middle of the night. And some of you are like, I will not be there in the middle of the night. If you want to pray in the middle of the night, you might be an intercessor. That may be a special calling. And here's what I want you to see is that these listings do not all match up. And the reason for that, I believe, is that it is not a formulaic list. It's not just show me the options. These are things, I believe, the Bible wants us to understand that are available to every one of us. But I would say this, any gift that can be empowered by the Holy Spirit can be a spiritual gift. So what is your gift? You may have the gift of creativity. Well, that may not be on the list, but the Holy Spirit can come on you and make you not just creative, but make you supernaturally creative. Uh, think of Samson with me that he, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on him and he like tore a lion to, to shreds. So we don't have like UFC spiritual gift in here, but that's what Samson seemed to have, okay? So here's what I, I just want you to understand. Do not underestimate how God wants to use you in your gifting. Any gift that you have is from God. Maybe you like fashion. And you just love to put outfits together. You love to design things. That can be a spiritual gift. Maybe you do auto mechanics. And you just, 
You, you see a car, you want to start talking to that person about the car. You ask what engine they have in the car, to which I reply, I don't know. I drive it. I don't work on it, okay? But you're, that's who you are. The Holy Spirit can breathe on that. Maybe you're a business person. The Holy Spirit, you're not just a business person. God wants you to be an anointed business person. God wants you to bring that gift to him so that he can use it even beyond what you could ever imagine. He wants to use all of our gifts. So now let's get to the pirate. So this week, I had a little picture come to me. I don't know if it's God or not. If it's God, it'll help you. If it's not, it's me. It'll confuse you. But just to illustrate spiritual gifts. So here's you before Christ. You were a pirate. You wanted to do your thing. You didn't want to be under anybody's authority. You just kind of wanted to, to set up your own kingdom. You wanted to be the master of your own destiny. There was kind of this dark cloud over you everywhere you went. And, you know, the Bible says this, that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's go to the next slide. So you come to Jesus and, boom, no more pirate, right? You're now under Jesus. You're now flying Jesus's flag. I know you're like, Justin, this is actually for the children's ministry, not for here. It, it, it will be helpful, I think. So you're, you're no longer doing your own thing. You're in the light. You, you love Jesus, right? You're saying, Jesus is my Lord. I, I'm, I, that's what I'm about. Now, that's where most people stop. Jesus is Lord. I'm saved. When I, go to he or when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And in the meantime, I am saved to sit. I'm just going to sit here and just wait till one glad morning when this life is over. I'm going to fly away. But in the meantime... I'm just going to kind of do my thing. Hopefully, I can like, you know, advance in my career. Maybe I can get a second house, vacation home. Maybe I can do all of these things, right? Nothing wrong with those things, but that's where most people live their lives. It's just when I die, I, I'm going to heaven. And that is true, but you're missing out on what God has for you. There's something much greater than that. Next slide, please. There is a purpose. There is a purpose when you are saved God doesn't just get you into heaven when you die. He actually wants to get heaven into you. He's not, and I know I'm reviewing some things, but he's not just trying to get you up there. He's trying to get up there down here. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. How many of you know Jesus, there is no power struggle in heaven? There, there is no need for us to try to get God's will into heaven. Where's the problem? It is here. It is in your office tomorrow morning. It is in your home this afternoon. That's where God is wanting his will to come. If it was not the case, then you'd be out of here, right? But there is something more. There is, it didn't show up on that background. Doggone. There's a castle there. There we go. Woo! Somebody's got the spiritual gift of design back there. Thank you so much. You're amazing. There we go. Okay. There's a, this, why is a castle? Because it's a kingdom. When, when you say, when, what, gets, what is it that brings you to salvation? It's Jesus is Lord. Lord, that's kingdom language. That's, I, I'm coming into his kingdom but he also has a calling for you. He's wanting to bring you into something that you are not yet in. He's wanting to bring you not just into heaven, but heaven onto earth. And so in order to get to that place, you're going to need some power to get there, right? It's not just, I'm going to try to advance in life and maybe I can live a life of purpose. You need some power. So let me take you to the next slide. And this is just going to show you some, some meanings. Here's what I, I want you to grab hold of. Here's when you are saved, there is a calling on your life. But in order to get to your calling, you're going to need some power. Jesus said this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit is the wind in your sails. He's the pneuma, the spiritual Gifts, pneumatics, are the wind of the Holy Spirit 
But wind alone doesn't do any good. You're going to have to have something to catch the wind. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He doesn't just blow on you. He blows onto your gifts. How many of you know wind by itself will not get you anywhere? But neither will a sail by itself get you anywhere. You need wind and a sail. But when you have wind and a sail, baby, you're on your way. Right? Let me say it this way. You need not just your gifts. Your gifts may advance your career, but it will not advance the kingdom of God. Ultimately, it will not make an eternal impact. And so to do that, you need the power of the Holy Spirit that will blow into your sails, that will push you forward. When the Holy Spirit comes on your gifts, there's going to begin to be a flow in your life. You can have a gift, but what brings the power to that gift is the flow of the Holy Spirit. I can tell it so strongly when I'm teaching. There's sometimes I'm up here and I'm teaching and I'm trying to teach. I'm trying to impart something to you. And I'm like, I'm paddling. I'm trying to get somewhere. And it's like, man, I'm wearing myself out. And then there's, oh, here we go. Now we're going. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit. I don't want to just be a teacher. I want to be a spirit-filled teacher. Don't just be a businessman. Be a spirit-filled businessman. Don't just be a graphic designer. Be a spirit-filled graphic designer. Don't just be a teacher. Be a spirit-filled teacher. You need the wind of the Holy Spirit to fill your sails to move you forward. But the sail is always connected to something else. A sail without a hull or a boat is called a kite, right? And that may be fun, blowing the breeze, flapping the breeze, but it's not going to get you anywhere. And so your gifts are always connected to your character. Every place in the Bible, those three passages that list gifts, they're always, there's always a character connection with that. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about these gifts of prophecies, and then he goes, love is patient, love is kind, love is all of the things that the the character qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to work into our lives. Here's the danger. If you have the character without the Holy Spirit, you'll be a good person, but you're not making the impact that God wants you to make. But if you have the sail and the wind, and the wind will catch the sail, Regardless of your character, the Bible says that the gifts and the call of God are without revoke or without repentance. Sometimes we look at people and we're like, how can God use them like that? I know what's really going on behind the scenes. Why is that? It's because they're, it's their gifts. And gifts are based on grace. It's not based on character and what you do. So you can have great gifts and have poor character And if you have great gifts but poor character, you're ultimately going to make your life a shipwreck. Okay, so we need not just your gifts, you also need your character. And if your gifting is greater than the depth of your character, it will end up blowing you off course. And so we need to develop our character but also develop our gifting. It's been said, Mark Twain said this, the two greatest days in your life is the day you were born and the day you discover why. I believe that's the, call, that's the cry of this kingdom cry. I want to make an impact with my life. I don't want to just live for the weekend and, and, and retirement someday. I want to live for a purpose. Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God. And so we need, we need that vision for our lives. The kingdom of God is always first and foremost, Jesus said, But then we need our gifts, but then we also need the wind of the Holy Spirit to fill our gifts. And some of you maybe are are exhausted because you're trying to power your gift in your own power rather than depending on the wind of the Holy Spirit. But how do we know if the wind that is blowing us is the Holy Spirit? How many of you know there's some other winds that can blow along? Paul talked about that when he opened up chapter 12. He says, you were Gentiles carried away. He's talking about the wind of emotionalism. You see, prior to coming to Christ, they were in this pagan culture and they would go into pagan worship and it was, they would whip themselves up into a frenzy. Woo, 
you know, and, and they had an experience. It may have been spiritual, but it was not the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so that is a warning to all of us that, that not everything that, not every breeze that blows is the Holy Spirit. Some of it can just be emotions, right? Now let me say this, there's nothing wrong with emotions. There's nothing wrong with feelings. I heard one person say it this way, I don't want to run on feelings, but I do want to feel what I'm running on, right? So when the Holy Spirit comes, there will be a feeling, but the feeling is not the measurement of whether or not it's the Spirit. Paul also talked about, in Ephesians, he talked about winds of doctrine. So there can be false teaching that can come that can blow us off course. So we need to have discerning spirits to understand what is it that's driving us along. But here's, I want to give you the ultimate test of whether or not the gifting in your life or the gift in someone else's life or in the church is of the Holy Spirit or not. Here's, here's how you know if you're tracking. Let's put it back up one more time, the, the ship. And actually go to the, the next slide. Here we go. Here's how you know if you're tracking Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, uh, he talks about the gifts and he says, now I'm going to show you a more excellent way, the way of love. He wasn't saying don't, don't pursue gifts. He's saying, how do you know if you're in the right place, if you're in the right way? He says, you will follow the way of love. So how do you know if it's of the Holy Spirit or not? It is, here's the question, does it make you more loving and is it lifting up Jesus? The wind of the Spirit is always blowing towards the kingdom. It's always lifting up Jesus. It, it's not about making you look great, making you look like you're so spiritual. It's about making Jesus look great because he is great. And it's about being loving to other people. And so just because you're flapping in the breeze does not mean it's the Holy Spirit. Okay? Y'all are super quiet. It's because you're getting it. It's so deep. So here's what I want you to see. That Paul uses these four words. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of spirituals, which is the word pneumaticos. Let's leave it up there if we can. Pneumaticos, that's the spirit. And he says there are different, there's diversities of gifts, that's the word charisma, and there are diversities of ministries, diaconia, which is, if you're in the kingdom of God, what is it that you do in the kingdom? If somebody works for the king, what are they called? They're called a minister, a minister. And so every single person is called to ministry regardless of what your sphere of ministry is. If you're in your calling, there is a diaconia. There is a ministry that God has for you. And then there are, uh, there, there's diversities of activities. He, that's the word ergon, energy, work. And so just because you are in your gifting does not mean that it is, there's not work to it, right? But it is works of love. It's works of love. So you know you're following the Holy Spirit, if you are living in love. And God wants every single one of us to flow in our grace. He wants us to, to be in that place where it's not just trying to work it out ourselves, but there's the wind of the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, I want to give you four things that I believe we all need to, to do if we are going to flow in our grace, if we're going to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Number one, is you need to desire the gifts. You need to desire the gifts. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. That's the word pneumaticos or spirituals. Or let me say it this way, desire the work of the Holy Spirit. For far too long, the Holy Spirit has been, as one commentator I read, called him the Cinderella of the Trinity. He's the sister that's left at home without confusing things. So we love the Father, we love the Son, but let me keep the Holy Spirit at arm's distance. And here's what people have said, I believe in the Spirit and I maybe even believe in the gifts, 
But I'm a, some people say I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt on. That would be like me saying, I love my wife, but I've got a seatbelt on. I'm, I am restrained. That's like me saying, Ethan, I want to have a relationship. Just kind of keep at a distance. How many of you know, if somebody said that to you, I want to be friends, but just stay over there, I'd be like, no, we can't have relationship. And some of us have that attitude with the Holy Spirit because of abuses. We say, I don't want the Holy Spirit. I don't want the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want the wind of the Spirit in, our life, in my life. But let me just say this. Every gift that God has is a good gift. Everything that God has for you is a good gift. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is a great gift. Every spiritual gift that he has is a great gift. And so if you want the gifts to be in operation in your life, you've got to desire them. It won't happen to people that do not desire it. That's why I'm even teaching about it here in church, because it's not good enough for us to just acknowledge it. We have to say, God, we desire these gifts. We need these gifts in our life. Matthew said it this way, if you then being evil know how to, good, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father uh, give good things to those who ask him? Any of you who have children know that they are not shy when it comes to asking. That is probably their spiritual gift, right? They are asking, 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 right? And so we need to desire the spiritual gifts. Number two, we need to discover, and I'm, I'm simplifying this today, but and we'll continue to unpack this, but not only do we need to desire, we need to discover our spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one has received a gift, so you have a spiritual gift that may align with your natural gifting. It may not align with it, but God wants you to discover what you have. The scripture says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Every single person in here has a divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There is no person that is like a bench warmer in the kingdom of God. Every person has a divine gift within them. You want to know what your gift is? Here, here's just some thoughts, and we'll talk about this more. What bothers you? What bothers you? What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy doing? What do other people say? You're good at it. When you do it, you're, you're good at that. If you have a gift, there, there will be that grace on your life. I heard Tim Keller talk about people discovering their gifts in a, a story he told about when he went to pastor a church. There was a, there was a trailer park across the street, and he had people come to him as soon as he got there, and they said, Pastor, uh, we really, uh, I know the answer for this church uh, you know, for us to move forward, here's what we need to do. Uh, the first person said, there's, there's a whole bunch of people across the street, and if we would just win them to Jesus, if they would just meet Jesus, man, we would, we would see God's purpose accomplished in the church. He said, well, thank you so much. The, uh, the second person came and said, Pastor, you see that trailer park across the street? He said, um, you know, there's so many people, there, there's a diverse group of people that live in that trailer park, and we are, you know, all look the same, have the same background here in this church, and there's some people, needy people over there, and if we would just start meeting their needs and caring for them and, and welcoming them in, then, then we would advance in what God has for us. The third person came to him and said, uh, Pastor, you see that trailer park across the street? He, he said, we've been talking about that trailer park for years, and we've just said if we could do something in that trailer park, but here's the problem, Pastor, nobody can get a plan together. We talk about it, talk, talk, talk. Nobody can get the plan together. What is that? It's just three different gifts. First person has the gift of evangelism. They're going, we've got to win the loss. Second person has the gift of mercy. They're saying, we just got to meet needs, care for them. The third person has the gift of administration. They're wanting to put the plan together. None of them are wrong. All of them are right. The answer is all of them working together, right? And so we need all of the gifts working together. Third is develop your gifts. Worship team, you can come back up. Desire the gifts. Discover your gifts. Develop your gifts. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.7. So that you come short in no gift, 
eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in 2 Timothy 1.6, I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. In other words, he's saying, there's something that is in you, but it's just not just going to come out of you and, and announce, here I am, God's gift to the world. How many of you know, you've got to develop your gift, right? Yeah, and everybody loves, I'll give you an example, teaching, preaching. How many of you know, you can go on YouTube and you watch T.D. Jakes preach, or whoever your favorite, John MacArthur, whoever it is, you watch that and, and you may go, man, I want to do that. Well, you may have the gift of teaching, but how many of you know, first time you jump on the platform, it's not going to come out like the bishop, Right? And it may not ever, okay? For me, it's never going to come out like that. You're not going to get up and be like John MacArthur and give all this deep insight into the text. You've got to develop your gifting. Everybody loves the gift, but oftentimes nobody wants the grind that's required in order to get them to the gift. And so their gift stays in an a, a, a undeveloped phase because they will not be faithful. It takes faith to discover your gift it takes faithfulness to develop your gift. Marcia has a great musical gift. She's used it in the church for years. What a, what a blessing. But Marcia, the first time you got on the piano, you probably didn't start playing like you play with that Hammond B3. You did. Okay, well, that's, a, that's called the gift of a miracle, okay? That's the gift of a miracle. No, you had to take some lessons. You had to study. You had to step out. You hit some wrong notes. You probably had some awkward moments in church, right? Anybody ever sat through an awkward moment, right? Yeah, if we're going to develop gifts, we've got to make room for those things to happen. We have to develop gifts. God's put something in you, but what you do with it, that's his gift to you. What you do with it is, his, is your gift to him. Number four, we need to deploy our gifts. Deploy. Gifts aren't just to go, what's your spiritual gift? What'd you get on the test? Oh, prophecy. Ooh, you got prophecy. That's a good one. You got, ooh, mercy. I like that. That's mercy. No, that's not what spiritual gifts are for. Spiritual gifts are to use them. To use them. How do you use them? I believe it's to use them not just in here. It's to use them out there. God wants you to use your gifts everywhere you go. He wants you to be the church everywhere you go. But how many of you know if we don't use them in here, we're never going to use them out there? Don't tell me that we're going to step into some prophetic unction in your workplace and we'll talk about what that means that is not a weird thing, okay? But if you've never been open to the Holy Spirit in this place, what is, what is this? This is not the gallery. This is the, the studio. This is where works of art are being made. This is where gifts are being developed. This is where gifts are being released. That wind of the Spirit is blowing in this place. That's why sometimes people tell me, Justin, man, I, I had a thought that came to me in the message and it had nothing to do with your message. It had to do with something else that... I've been wondering about and all of a sudden I just got the answer to it in that moment. Why is it? That's because you're in the flow of the Spirit. You're in the wind of the Spirit. And let me say this, I know it's 1135, but I believe that part of that means that we have to be flexible in our time. We have to be flexible in the, in our, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be organization too, but we need to be flexible to allow the gifts of the Spirit to come forth. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says this. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Minister it to one another. We saw a beautiful example of that a few weeks ago. Well, no, a few months ago now. Brad and Melissa, as they have shared their story of believing God for a baby. It was one Sunday in a moment about like this. We were getting ready to close the service and I said, Jana, Jana was sitting right there on the front. I said, Jana, would you just come up here and pray? And she said, I'll come up and pray. But she said, I actually had something in my heart that I felt like I needed to share. And 
since you've given me the mic, I think I should share it. And she gave this picture, this word that God had given to her, prophetic word, perhaps a word of wisdom, not knowing that Brad and Melissa were making a decision that day, and it totally was God speaking to them. She was, what was that? It was each one ministering it to one another. Now, let me ask you this. What if Jana had said, I don't really need to be there today? I don't really, it's not important. I kind of, there's some, you know, I'm in the mood for something else. Now, could God have used somebody else? Yes. But she was the one that God spoke to that day. Or what if Jana had said, well, I'm just going to keep it to myself. I don't want to be weird. How many of you know that's not weird? It was wonderful. That was wonderful. I want to ask you if you would just to stand to your feet. Yeah, let's give the Lord praise. Let's give him praise. Let's put our hands.